Decarbonizing the energy sector of modern day will be one of the most challenging obstacles of our time, but it will also present an opportunity for pioneers to achieve the impossible. Energy demand is increasing, and so is the need to produce that energy sustainably so we can reach our net zero goals. This is the Core Knowledge Podcast, where we sit down with the leaders and innovators in the geothermal energy space, tackling the challenges of modern day in order to make geothermal everywhere a reality for tomorrow. From shallow to deep, heat to electricity, and even healthcare to agriculture, we will bring to light the many benefits of geothermal. Join us as we journey across the globe to bring awareness to the heat beneath our feet in order to power the future. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Core Knowledge Podcast, the show where we're on a quest to bring awareness to the heat beneath our feet in order to power the future. I'm your host, Nick Sestari, and it is an absolute pleasure to be with all of you here today and and just kind of crazy to believe that I'm still doing this here a year and a half later. And thank you for all the support. And just hopefully there has been knowledge imparted to you and you've been able to share this with someone who had no idea geothermal existed or that didn't know that it was more than volcanoes. So really thankful for the support and for spreading this around and the opportunities I've been afforded through this podcast. Um, And today is, as I say, pretty much every time another episode that I'm extremely excited for and have been waiting uh, to record and with anticipation and, and can't wait to bring to all of you who are listening. Um, and today I'm sitting down with Calpine and specifically uh, looking at the geysers, which uh, for me personally had no idea that America was producing as much geothermal as we were until I actually started diving into this podcast effort. And if people would have asked me where who was the highest producer of you know geothermal energy, I would have said the classic answer probably of uh, Iceland or Indonesia or something like that. But you, in fact, will learn in this episode, if you didn't already know, that's incorrect. So um, pleased to be joined by Rob Parker, uh, Peter So, and Daniel Saparas. And they are all with me here today. Um, and really just incredible that I have this whole crew here with me. Um, Rob is the VP of Operations at Geysers. Peter So is Project Development and Management. And Danielle, honestly, thanks to you so much for helping coordinate this and, and set this up and really just making this happen. Um, without you and your help, I don't know that we'd be here today. So uh, let's start. I'll start with you because I left on that. So let's just do some introductions to each of you, um, how you got into, let's say, geothermal, since we're talking about geothermal today, but also how you got into working with Calpine. And then from there, we'll kick into some more questions. Uh, sure. So um, I'm Daniel Matthews, and I head up um, local government affairs and community outreach for the geysers, lots of tours. Um, I've been with Calpine uh, almost 25 years now, officially. Um, I grew up around the geysers uh, and thought that would be the last place I'd want to work. And then once you learn how interesting and um there's just so much to geysers operations that every single day you're just learning something new and different. And it just keeps me coming back to work excited. As you mentioned, excited to do this podcast every day is a thrilling adventure working with Rob and Pete and team. It's just something new. Awesome. Peter, how about you? Sure. Um, I actually started my career with, uh, with General Electric um, on the gas driven side. Um, and uh, most recently, I'm probably the newest to kind of the geyser scene um, as far as uh, looking at the geysers and um, was, you know, I think I pride myself in kind of thinking out of the box and then was asked to take a look at some of these, like, like you were kind of saying um, previously, there's a renewed interest in geothermal. And uh, because of my thinking out of the box, I think I was asked to take a look at it and, and evaluate various technologies that could be applicable. And that's been my focus in the last year and a half or so. Awesome. And over to you, Rob. Yeah, as uh, Nick mentioned, um, I'm currently uh, the VP of operations at the Geysers. Um, been with Calpine uh, coming on 23 years, so I've had uh, several different hats uh, since I've been with Calpine, uh, specifically um, at the Geysers for the last three years. Uh, but prior to that, I was on the uh, gas-fired side of the house. Um, uh, I was, before the Geysers, I was uh, the VP of operations over our, our western uh, region, uh, gas-fired region. 
but I had always worked very closely with my peers um, at the Geyser, so I was very familiar with uh, a, a lion's share of the you know the assets up here and and a lot of what was going on. And then, as I mentioned three years ago, the opportunity to come and run the geysers presented itself and uh, jumped at the opportunity. Um, like uh, like Pete, I actually got my start in the industry um, with General Electric. Uh, similarly, uh, you know, starting off with steam and gas turbine um, work as a factory rep for them and certainly was a great uh, training ground for this industry. Uh, there's a lot of us roaming around this industry. Um, and uh, Again, I uh, was with G for about 10 years before coming to, uh, to Calpine, uh, again, doing several different jobs, starting off as a regional engineer and kind of worked my way through their plants uh, in operations, plant manager, and then into the regional offices uh, and leading up to where I am now. Overall, about 32 years in the industry and um, really have enjoyed the last three years at the, at the geysers. Uh, like I said, even though I was at an arm's length of the operations, um, I certainly have gotten intimately involved with everything going on up here the last three years. And that's been, a, it's been a great experience so far. You just can't help but get, um, get you know, just from a pure engineering perspective, the technology is certainly, um, catches your eye and it's certainly a great uh, technology to to manage so it's been a great run yeah awesome well thank you all for that and and i i wanted to apologize on the the gaffe of not even introducing danielle's position when i jumped right into thanking her for this uh, opportunity so i'm glad that she filled that in for me but really it was it's unique because i'm so thankful and wanted to apologize for not saying it because this group of all of you in the room is is unique because usually it's not only one-sided from some of the companies I've spoken with or guests I've had on, but you know it's unique just the different perspectives and, and roles that each of you are playing within this one you know area and region. And so it's super you know exciting that you're all here and, and just getting to share that. And and because we talked about all the field trips and all the awesome things that I myself want to uh, entertain and come do and bring my team and all all my friends who I want to show off what geothermal really is. So, um, you know, and I'll, I'll piggyback, uh, Rob, and we'll go right into a question that you kind of already started getting into is more just for the audience who may not know anything about it or know that it exists, you know, can you give kind of an overview or high level overview of the geysers operation and just kind of what is actually going on at the geysers, you know, what, how much is it producing? You know, how long has it been around? Kind of just some of those high-level facts uh, for us to kind of get, you know, acquainted. Sure. Yeah, no, there's definitely, you know, some classic stats that are worthy of noting. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, uh, the geysers, you know, uh, facility up here represents the largest in the world as far as a geothermal uh, um generation 725 megawatts of uh, nominal power is generated here uh we're spread out over 45 square miles wow. um we have 13 uh separate power plants that make up um our, our generating capabilities and then more importantly you know the, the actual steam field itself is made up of you know over 320 production wells we have over 70 injection wells um, we have uh, over 80 miles of interconnecting steam pipelines. Uh, we also have uh, roughly uh, um, 70 miles of um, injection water lines, over almost 180 miles of interconnecting roads to be able to get to all of the different locations at the, at the uh, geysers. And then um, also we have our own uh, distribution grid that we operate is over 70 miles of 21 kV power lines that actually is managing our house load throughout the geysers. So I can just speak from my own experience as far as coming from more of a posted size pipe, you know, power plant. And, you know, it's all condensed, the very, uh, you know, uh, dense, you know, power generation. This has a much larger footprint. And it's really all about the infrastructure that interconnects everything together. I mean, you focus on the power plants by themselves. There's a lot of similarities as far as the steam plants in general. 
But once you go outside the fence line of the individual 13 power plants and you really get into the infrastructure that makes up the steam field and, and the interconnection of everything together, uh, you really get an appreciation for, um, you know, the challenges of, of running an entire geothermal you know, facility. Yeah, no, I mean, that's incredible. Those are some, I, I think, well, and me personally, and I'm sure some of the audience too, a lot of times there's maybe not as much familiarity just because sometimes you're not, you know, visibly seeing things or haven't actually been out there to experience it and maybe think it's pretty simple or simplistic or just kind of not that not that interesting or maybe they just hadn't heard about geothermal. But I think just from some of those stats without having seen a single thing physically, that's just honestly all you can say is impressive uh, that we can, you know, I think the geothermal industry needs to be talked about more from, you know, some of these amazing feats and innovations and technology and just the way that we're able to produce energy, uh, like at the geysers. Um, you know, a lot of times we focus on areas that innovation has been made and obviously there's plenty of other areas of amazing technological innovations for power. Um, but I think we just often forget that this has been going on for quite some time and isn't, isn't, you know, a new thing. Um, and yet it has, things that we can probably still be learning from. And I'm sure you can speak to that, of that there's probably things that you guys are learning each and every day, uh, new and new challenges that you're having to overcome um, to keep producing and, and to keep things, you know, kind of running as is. Right. Yeah. You met actually one thing I, I was remiss to mention. I mean, as far as the, you know, the longevity of this facility here, you know, the first well um, when the service, you know, close to 60 years ago and it's still on service today. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think a lot of our success also, you know, not only just having this very unique resource, you know, something we could probably get into as far as, you know, these, these locations in the world are very limited as far as presenting all the needed, you know, uh, all the needed attributes to be available to make this all work. Um, but, um, you know, the knowledge over 60 years that we have gained from the geology in this area has allowed us to be very, very successful in, you know, our development opportunities and understanding the geology and having a lot of success when we do decide to maybe expand and do a new, a new, a new well, whether a production well or an injection well. You know, the team of geologists that we have up here, we have a lot of uh, institutional knowledge up here because of having such a long uh, history here to give us, you know, a lot of the intuitive knowledge about where to, you know, what's going on below the surface. Um, so that gives us a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of leverage and a, a leg up on understanding this area and then how to develop it. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, you bring up a good point. And, and when we speak, or when I do this podcast, or obviously, because I'm passionate about geothermal, and even myself am now working in the industry, it's sometimes hard to pull back and realize that, you know, often geothermal just didn't get uh, shared enough or put out there enough sort of in the public eye and, and kind of talked about in the way of look at the amazing feats being done here, look at the incredible engineering and, and subsurface work and just the knowledge that it takes to develop something at this scale and size. And like you said, it's geographically limited for this exact example, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't take all of the learnings the same way we're trying to say that the advances in the unconventional oil and gas space can now just be picked up and, and taken to other industries or other you know, even obviously even geothermal and, and kind of, you know, advancing that. So I think just I ask this question a lot more from a perspective because you've sort of been in and you were on sort of the other side in Calpine, but also watching uh, from an arm's length. You know, why do you think that geothermal, you know, historically has just been, you know, overlooked um, as a energy source beyond like the constrained, you know, obviously the areas where it made sense from a you know, it was easy to access, quote unquote, or it was a little more prolific, I, you know, just from your, your experience and perspective coming from where you sit today, why, why do you think some of those reasons exist or, or what are some of those, you know, in your opinion? I, you know, I, I do think that a um, couple factors, you know, I think one of them that it's just uh, maybe it's more anecdotal, but it's, you know, I think that geothermal has been around for so long that it's always been in the mix and it was, it was part of the generation mix, you know, even before 
renewables became something sexy and new and, you know, like wind or solar. So I think somehow, you know, that because of that, it, it can be overlooked because it was all, it wasn't something that was new and introduced, but, you know, as part of the new renewable discussion, it had already been there. Yeah. So maybe in some respects that kind of, it somehow lost its appeal or, you know, wasn't that shiny new toy. Um, but, um, you know, you really do need to tout, you know, when you start having that discussion about geothermal in the, you know, renewable space, you know, you really need to start talking about, you know, not that, you know, I always feel it's, you know, to kind of overcome this generation challenge as far as renewable versus fossil, you know, you, at the end of the day, it's probably going to be a mix of a lot of different things to solve solve this. But, um, you know, one glaring, you know, attribute that geothermal brings to the table is that it's dispatchable. That, yeah. you know, it's, it's available 24-7, it's dispatchable. Um, and we've had some, you know, a lot of history in improving that despite not to beat up on the brothers of, you know, of other renewables like wind and solar, but those are some of those challenges that they're, you know, they are not uh, dispatchable and, and available 24-7 based on other conditions. So definitely a big factor. Um, but getting back to the question that you asked, you know, um, how, why it might have not gotten the attention deserved, I think a big part of it, it was always there. Yeah. Um, and it is, you know, it is limited. Um, you know, I think, you know, as we had mentioned at the very beginning, you know, where we're currently sitting today, you know, it represents a very unique area. It's only this, uh, it's one of two places in the world where you have these different conditions. You know, you have a very thin crust so you can access, you can access the geothermal energy. You have fractures, you have the geology that allows this to kind of naturally occur and there's water there's naturally occurring water that made it happen by itself um and it, in italy is they only have the location where something like this occurs to have a, a dry steam kind of resource a, a steam dominated resource so um that's limiting you know uh i think yeah. with some of the new technology that's happening i think I think the lay people out there might just feel like, well, hey, can I just access the core, the Earth's core's heat anywhere, right? It's, you know, I just go anywhere in the world. But it just starts becoming an economic feasibility discussion. How far do you want to drill down to get to it? But I do think that a lot of these new technologies um, start opening up that discussion more. Um, you know, you still need to consider those three kind of key foundation uh, attributes you need you know, access, you need, you need fractures and you need water. If you want to tap into the natural, you know, either steam dominated or brine dominated type of, you know, sources out there. Now, if you want to start expanding that and do downhole heat exchanger technology and you bring your own medium that you want to extract the heat out of the ground and you're willing to spend the money to go deeper then, you know, you do start expanding outside these naturally occurring locations, you know, worldwide. Um, but today, you know, that technology is still in R&D and, and there's a lot of optimism around it. And uh, we're certainly monitoring it and getting involved in things ourselves to kind of promote it. Uh, but I think those were some of the limiting factors just because, you know, with the technology right now, you're very limited on where you're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, that's uh, yeah. Great perspective. And I think one of the, I think when you peel it back and you say that, you know, common, it's always been here and and sort of, it has just kind of been around. And so you could argue maybe taken for granted or not really put in the effort or the money or time to invest in new advancements until like you're saying, like today we're starting to see it happen almost as a, a response to obviously, you know, the new idea of we need more renewables, we need to clean up the grid, we need to decarbonize industry, et cetera, all the reasons. Um, but, you know, you look across the last hundred years and you, you know, solar and wind all of a sudden show up and then got a bunch of money just rapidly put into them. Um, and I think part of that reason, and I've heard answers on this show, also just experience of being in the space is that those sometimes people can relate a little easier to them because they just kind of understand like okay the sun is shining the wind blows 
you know, okay, that makes sense. I, I get it. Whereas geothermal, you know, I always argued and kind of one of the reasons why I started the podcast was if you're a, you know, the lay person trying to learn about it, uh, unfortunately, most things you would find are like white papers or super complex <laughs> research papers from some university, which like I as a geologist could read all day long, but someone who just wants to learn what is this thing that it's kind of, they're either on the, it's a volcano or a geyser, or they're like, I don't know, it's the core of the earth or it's some, you know, so I think there's, we're starting to see a shift in that, in that realm as well with some of just the re- outreach and involvement in geothermal kind of being more of a, you know, community engagement and just trying to educate from a very base level of like, here's what it can do beyond just electricity even and showing some of these benefits that really make it stand out and, you know, and back to your point of being dispatchable and baseload and those characters are, you know, some of its strongest characteristics, but then bringing in the direct heat components or all these other avenues that you can really say it has a, a bigger role to play, I think is going to be um, interesting to watch and, and continue as we go down this next five to 10 to 20 years uh, of sort of the energy um, picture. But, you know, I kind of want to follow that up with taking your opinion now asking, you know, this question, which is, more just from your perspective also, not because I believe this, but since you're involved in the geysers and you've, you know, you've seen it, it's been around as we just spoke for a long time, you know, would you say that hydrothermal resources like this are on their, on their way out or do they have a higher ceiling or just an an extended life with new technologies that are coming out or, or learnings that you guys have made through the years or also with incentives in the IRA and and some of that, you know, those are a, a grouping of a lot of different things, but I just want to pose that question for you to answer from your perspective of obviously there's a whole new division of geothermal, but you know, the geysers is a, a, you know, been here, been going steady and strong for a long time. And sort of what does that, what's the future look like? Yeah. I mean, boy, there's a lot to unpack it's there. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, the near term, I, everything, but it's on its way out. You know, I would yeah. say first off is that, you know, I think a near term, we're, we're doing it today. You know, we're constantly looking at ways to just do incremental enhancements on, on the technology that we're using today. I mean, as far as whether we're, you know, being more, uh, you know, I look at it, you kind of can break it into, into three areas, you know, with the current resource we're using now is that, you know, as we go and try to find more production wells, um, and or injection wells, as far as this managing the resource, you know, we're constantly looking at the resource and how a better way to manage it. Um, you know, once I bring the steam to the surface, you know, as I deliver that steam to the different power plants, I'm always looking at ways to kind of reduce losses and how to more efficiently get the steam to the conversion, you know, uh, source, the power plant. And once we put it at the power plant, we're constantly looking at ways to improve efficiency, looking at new steam path designs for the steam turbines themselves, you know, upgrades at the plants to, you know, reduce house loads and parasitic loads so that we can, you know, use the steam more efficiently once we get it out of the ground. So, you know, we're constantly looking at that stuff and making reinvestments to kind of uh, maintain the sustainability of what we have. Um, You know, uh, then the second piece of that, I kind of look at the, you know, the, the, the more R&D things that you're, you know, that are happening as far as downhole heat exchangers, drilling technologies so that maybe we can reduce costs on drilling. Uh, so, you know, the price point of geothermal, you know, can improve, you know, and it becomes more in the discussion as you reduce costs and expand where you might be able to tap into geothermal, you know, ex, you know, mine that heat and bring it to the surface and use it uh, for energy production. Yeah, no, I think, and I, you know, I think we've, well, we've seen a lot of, of that obviously with, you know, there's companies, well, a lot of companies and I mean, green fire and the work they're doing and some of these other things that are going on that, you know, I think I, I love it because you're starting to see sort of the ecosystem of there are technology focused companies that are really just trying to innovate, you know, some of these new technologies that can just be applied to, today's current fields or, or some of that current stuff to sort of incrementally learn and do what you're just describing about what the geysers has done for the last many decades, which is there's a resource already being produced and harvested, but 
there's no end to the learnings or to the you know advancements that as time goes and as you learn more about it or new technologies are always being developed on turbine side on you know wells and and all, you know all of the components that go into how you transport things and just you know being more efficient um, and, and being able to extract incrementally more and more heat. So I think I love I love to see that involvement from you know calpine and, and just the involvement from some of these larger companies that have been around and have been doing this but also are are championing saying hey we are all for geothermal and for the advancement of you know it being a larger portion of the pie um, than it even is today on a global scale and and on a you know a u.s you know scale of, of things to where it's not just so localized um into only certain regions um and i think you know, Calpine or Geysers Power uh, was part of that uh, DOE grant uh, that was recently um, announced as well. And so I think, you know, and don't know if you want to speak on it or not, but I think that's, it's encouraging to me. And I love seeing that, you know, this isn't just a, a you know, stagnant, hey, we know what we know and we know how to do it well. And we're not going to really expand into different things or explore what's the, what possibilities are there. And, you know, coming from an oil and gas background, I got to see, some of the we're stuck in our ways of like we don't want to jump into unconventionals or we don't want to do these things because we we don't like we just that's not it's it's not us it's not our way or or you know whatever the reasons may be that was uh, you know could happen of just a hesitancy to jump into new new ventures or to new exploration techniques and so very very encouraging and appreciate you sharing kind of on that um, and on you know well, and, and I would just add um, Nick that. Uh, Rob and Pete and the team do a really great job with companies like Greenfire and, um, you know, without our existing resource and um, the team with the expert knowledge to help make those projects testable. You know, uh, there's been quite a few innovative things um, cross tying and things like that, that I think is really uh worth noting that, um, you know, having an existing resource and the longevity of it, you know, it, it makes those things testable. I even know on the seismicity front, Craig Hartline does some amazing things with um, testing equipments and early earthquake detectors and things because we already have an infrastructure in place. So yeah. kind of worth noting that too. Absolutely. No, I'm, th I'm glad you actually brought that up because yeah, it's uh, one of those things that some of these technologies are great and some of these ideas are, are, obviously super impressive and very advancing, but also they, some of them need a place to be actually deployed and, and tested today because the lab is only as good as the lab and what better place to go than, you know, an actual operating facility with real live machinery and, and issues and things to learn through. Um, and as you all sitting here in, in, on this call with me can attest to that there's no better place to learn and to troubleshoot things than actually in the field once you're operating and actually, you know, doing real live uh, drilling and operations. So, you know, thank you for uh, mentioning that, Daniel. That's a big, that's a big piece. And while I have you spoken up, I do want to ask you about the engagement and and sort of the field trips and the people and like kind of the idea that we touched on earlier. If you know, people don't always know about geothermal or until they see something in real life and can actually be sort of wowed at these stats that Rob laid out for us of all the all the wells and what it really takes to make this actually happen and what, you know, they may be receiving that power to their house, but have no idea that that's what's behind it. Um, and so, yeah, I would love to just hear a little piece on you of what that program does or what those field trips and that, you know, community and, and external engagement kind of does for geothermal. Uh, yeah, well, to your point earlier about being overlooked, you know, unless we're out there talking about what we're doing, it's really easy Actually, if you consider the rural nature of the geysers, I know you haven't been yet, but, um, you know, it's just kind of this mountain. And then you see some, you know, steam plumes come out and you're kind of like, oh, that's just the geysers. Um, unless there's an earthquake and then you have to, you know, kind of answer that question as well. So, um, you know, it's really important that our local uh, electeds understand what the geysers is. And there's no better way to show that, you know, you can give them a fact sheet all day long, but they come out and look at it and see it and understand. And then occasionally, you know, run into their neighbor who's also, who's a Calpine employee, you know, because all of the local attributes that going, go into running the geysers, you know, there's so many benefits and things. 
So, uh, yeah, so last year we had um, over 500 guests tour. Uh, a lot of them were community people. We run a pretty aggressive tour program. We release our schedule November 15th for the next year, and 2023 is fully booked this wow. year. <laughs> and uh, it is it January 18th? So, uh, actually, <laughs> I was here at my desk pretty late last night trying to just, you know, uh, let people know, hey, you know, we sorry we're booked, but we're keeping a wait list. Um, all of our tours are ran, I'm really proud to say, by volunteers, Calpine volunteers. So it's all employees and they volunteer on their day off. Uh, Rob does quite a few. Pete, we're going to get you to do more. <laughs> but uh, it, it is a, it is a um, undertaking in time on your day off. You know, so our t- team normally works four tens. And so on a Friday or Saturday, they need to come in and give up three or four hours. But usually at the end, we all have big smiles on our faces because it really validates what you do every day. People are so interested. And and then when they stump you with the question, it's great because then you're doing the deep dive on trying to get the answer, you know, and at so many tours last year, Rob and I were laughing on the way back saying, oh, gosh, we need to add that to the script, you know, because <laughs> there's so many things that you forget or you run into somebody who has some knowledge that you haven't really tapped into. So there's so many aspects to it. Um, and and that that's another internal benefit to doing the program, you know, but uh, again, just the fact that we're booked for 2023 tells you that we're, you know, doing something right and people are really interested. We get visitors from all over the world. And um, I also want to give our visitor center a shout out. We uh, redeveloped the um, exhibits several years ago, partnering with um, the Department of Energy, making them all interactive and computer screens. And it really is impressive because, you know, you can stand at a well and you're like, this is a well and you can have somebody explain it to you. Unless you see photos or renderings of, you know, where, how many, you know, what directional drilling is and things like that. And so we have a fabulous Baker Hughes video that, you know, people can walk up to and see. And often after a tour, they'll walk back into the exhibit hall and say, I get it now. And they'll look at everything one more time with fresh eyes after seeing the field. So uh, that's a little bit about what we do. But I think the main thing is, you know, boots on the ground, showing what we do, talking to real people who work in the industry. I, I That's just the it's exhaustive, but exhausting, but it's so much fun. It's just everybody wants to learn. And I think once they get out there and see it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And I think, wow, yeah, well, kudos to to that and being booked for 2023. That's amazing. And, you know, the work that that's going to do for the industry is great. And I think it's kind of an it. You bring up the point of everybody's interested to learn. And I always think it's funny that when you, you know, I did this myself just for more learning sake, because when you Google solar and wind or even oil and gas, they have these beautifully rendered pictures that someone has like taken time to Photoshop and edit and make it look like there's a, it's a dream. There's no possible way this is harmful. And then you look up geothermal and a lot of times the pictures are just not, they're not great. They're like steam plumes and there's like ugly facilities. And you're kind of like, well, dang, that's not really incentivizing anyone to believe that this, they want this to be in their backyard or near their home. But I think, you know, so I, I do believe that we can do you know, more, but also stuff that like you're saying with the visitor center and interactive, and I'm a visual learner, and I know a lot of people are, and some people don't understand what your, you know, geothermals, a lot of it is subsurface, right? I mean, that's, you know, Rob mentioned all the work that you guys are doing with with that is like, sure, there's turbines and power production being taken care of on the top side. But really, from a footprint standpoint, a lot of that exists underneath the ground. And unless you give someone a way to really engage with that and understand, you know, what you're doing from an, how do we start from point A and get to power, but also what we're doing to mitigate dangers and how we are very proactive in in making sure this is safe and we're doing this well and operating with, you know, the community in mind, I think it's just great. People leave those experiences with a whole new renewed vision of what geothermal is and can take that then to their neighbor. Or as I always say on the podcast that we want it to become a dinner table conversation, right? We want people to be at home and talk about geothermal in a in just a normal day sense of, I hope that we see more of that or, oh, we should think about that for our neighborhood or bring it to our local legislators and tell them that we would love to see district heating or whatever, whatever it may be. Really, that's where it's got to start is from the the individual stakeholder all the way up to the, you know, people making policies and, and legislation. So um, 
Yeah. I mean, that's great. Thank you for that color and, and kind of giving us some uh, insight on that. And, and I want to ask uh, Rob sort of one, maybe last thing, you know, for where we sit today, we kind of already talked about any, anything, but on its way out, you know, just want to kind of hear maybe one thing that you're really doesn't have to be only one, but let's just talk about generally, what are you really excited about for, um, you know, geysers specifically in the next five year time frame. you know, some just in terms of what are you excited to see? What are you excited to watch the team do? Uh, you know, something in that realm. Yeah. I mean, I think attached to know what I hit on before. I mean, I near term, I think we've had some development opportunities that have presented themselves that um, we were finally, you know, seeing the light of day on some, some, you know, incremental uh, geysers expansion. That's uh potentially going to, you know, uh, get kicked off here soon. And, you know, just some extending some long-term contracts that have really kind of said that, hey, you know, guys, there's this here to stay. We're going to be running this, you know, for the next couple of decades at least. And, there, you know, I think there's a good message there that it's, you know, it's recognized as, a, you know, it's needed in the mix. It's needed as part of California's grid reliability and um, it's here to stay. Um, and, you know, just the engineer in me, you just can't help but get intrigued by some of this new technology. You know, if you, you know um, it's, it's certain, like I said, it's still in very early development, but, you know, just you, you, you can't help but get excited about maybe one of these things is going to uh, see the light of day and, and, and we'll be able to take advantage of it. Um, again, whether it's newer drilling technology to just kind of enhance our current you know, operation and development that we're doing right here or even longer term of this new technology downhole heat exchanger kind of concept that might really open some doors either here or even at other locations, you know. Yeah. So I'm definitely no, I excited about that. Yeah. yeah. Very exciting, I think. And that's, you know, maybe the one plug is you see the possibility of this is an, probably an outside geysers uh, question of do you see, you know, Calpine even looking at the potential of having geothermal co-located even some of their current existing operations that they have, you know, in power plants, if they, some of these technologies do take hold, you know, I'm just thinking about some of this idea of, of, you know, combining it with other power sources to help with some of that, you know, base load or just some of the decarbonization of stuff or even completely new locations that you never thought about before as being a potential for geothermal, uh, you know, operations around the globe. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly on the table. I mean, we're, we're definitely delving into, uh, partnering up with, uh, groups in the Texas ERCOT area uh, that we're exploring opportunities there. And so it's, it's certainly on the table. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, uh, before I let you guys go and as the final thing to every podcast, I always ask three rapid fire or I'll call them hot seat questions to be pun just to be, to fit with this uh, environment. And so I will ask them to all three so we can start with Rob and then rotate around. But number one is just a, a piece of advice that, you know, you would give to your younger self or to someone who's, uh, you know, maybe studying in university and doesn't really know exactly what they, they want to do or, or be a part of. Oh, good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously a, a big fan of the, the power generation industry. It's been very rewarding for myself. And um, I think, you know, I was going to chime in about, you know, the communication or education campaign that's probably needed for our industry, because I think any of us who's been in the industry has been at a cocktail party. And the minute you start talking about what's going on behind their outlet, they just start, eyes start rolling up in their head and <laughs> they don't want to hear about it. But, and I think that includes, that includes, you know, our up and coming, you know, workforce that's coming out of school that they, a lot of them don't understand our industry and what the opportunities are available and how rewarding uh, the industry can be. And, uh, and, you know, I think we're at a pivotal point where, you know, this industry is changing and um, I think it could be a pretty exciting place and I think you can carve out a pretty rewarding and, you know, lucrative, you know, uh, career out of this industry. So I think there's a lot of education that needs to take place, you know, for either people that are considering working in the industry or even just the lay people out there to just try to understand what's, 
what's driving the the energy mix and why you know what are the limitations and benefits and pros and cons of all the different you know sources out there yeah that's great uh danielle how about you well uh advice to my younger self would uh just be uh you know, ask more questions and just, if you have a great idea, put it forward. Uh, when I first started, uh, with Calpine, I was in a much different role and I just saw a, uh, a real big opportunity for Calpine to lead the way in, you know, sharing the geysers and also, uh, the benefits of having, you know, being able to understand the team and what they're talking about. It is very technical. I'm not a technical person. You know, I have a bachelor's degree in uh, political science and a master's in public administration. None of that has anything to do with the power industry, but you know, a lot of the skills that, you know, I've picked up over the years is being able to understand what the team's saying and doing and, and, and being able to explain it to my neighbors and friends. And uh, so when I, I noticed that there was a disconnect there and uh, I would just, my advice would be to anybody interested, you know, please just, you know, get involved, ask questions. Even if you aren't a technical person, I do feel on the outside sometimes, you know, I'm not a geologist, I'm not an engineer, but I've, over the years, I've come to uh, really respect my colleagues being able to dumb it down. They'll, they'll answer my questions. They'll explain it to me. They'll laugh at my analogies to it. You know? like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, don't let the poli sci person explain what happened millions ago when the geysers was developed. You know? <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I think that they do see value in it. And um, as Rob said, you know, you, I just lose hours talking with the, the team. You just kind of, everyone else is glazing over and you're still asking questions like, well, why has that work? And why did that work? And when can we do that? And why couldn't we do this? And uh, anyway, so uh, my advice would be just ask questions and don't limit yourself. You know, there's just a lot of different opportunities in our industry. Um, and you just get out there and see what fits for you. Perfect. No, that's great. And Peter, we'll round out that first one with you. Yeah, I, unfortunately, it's very similar, right? Keep, keep an open mind, I think. Um, you know, and I actually recently I had an opportunity to maybe uh, go to a high school and uh, at a career fair. I'm actually still thinking if I'm going to do it. And actually, as I was driving in this morning and, and kind of to both Danielle and Rob's point, you know, the power industry, it, there's a lot of different areas, right? I mean, you could really build a great career in the power industry. And, you know, all three of us are actually a long-term uh, Calpine employee, and there's a reason for that. And, and the reason is that we're we're given opportunities to do a lot of different things in Calpine. So we all feel, you know, really as a family <laughs> yeah. with Calpine, right? So I think, you know, the power industry, it, it's, it's great opportunities anywhere. You know, you could be an attorney, you could be, you know, you could just operate the plants if you want to just, you know, do that. So there's a lot of different areas. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's great. Really appreciate all three of those. And uh, just always great hearing kind of the advice. And even I, I get to hear all of these and soak them all in too. So it's great for great for me as I do these. Um, and we'll move to the second one, uh, which is uh, just a, a favorite experience that you've had across your, your career or just something that you look back on as a, as a fond memory um, that you have. And we'll start uh, with you, Peter, and go back around. Um, a fond memory... In my career, I think what's what's interesting is you know um, it's a really really tiny industry, <laughs> even though it's it's kind of massive in a way. Um, even though I think Rob and I actually started our careers differently, we our backgrounds are very very similar. Right? He mentioned um, he mentioned uh, GE. We actually went to the same school, <laughs> <laughs> and you know after you know. God, I've been in the industry for 25 years. You know, we're still working together, which is, it's it's pretty pretty strange and pretty rare. And I think there's actually multiple people uh, in this industry that I've actually gone to school with, and we're actually still working together. So <laughs> I think that's a that's a that's an awesome you know kind of lifelong experience actually. So yeah, that's great, awesome. And Daniel, what about you? I would have to say uh, 
Well, I would have to say remodeling the visitor center was a, uh, a highlight for me in my career uh, in that we didn't hire an exhibit um, company to come in and do the design. I personally got to work with each team. So I worked with the drillers for a while until their aspect of the exhibit. It's a very small exhibit hall, but you know, every little point that they wanted in there that they felt was valuable. Worked with the, you know, power plant folks, you know, what what needs to be depicted here, what's important, what isn't, what does that widget do? Do we need to have that, you know, that kind of thing. And the highlight for that was uh, the learning for me, but also the collaboration and being part of a team uh, that really you know, does work together um, as a family. I agree. You know, a lot of us Calpine people have been working together for a, a long time. And then the new people come in and, you know, right when they fit in, they fit in just perfectly like there is never anybody else there, you know. So, um, you know, it's just a, it is a big but small industry and especially at the geysers, you know, uh, you know, doing something like the exhibit hall and getting the opportunity to to understand what my colleagues do every single day was uh, a huge, a huge benefit to me personally, but also, um, again, just a highlight because it was so much fun, you know, understanding how it all fits together in one big 45 square mile you know, <laughs> complex. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and what about, what about you, Rob? Well, I had the benefit of being able to think about it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it really, I go back to earlier in my career when I was with GE. Um, I mean, it really kind of established the foundation for my, you know, for my my skill set in this industry. And uh, I, I look back on specifically a two year window where I did uh, a handful of different uh, international jobs um, in China and specifically in Indonesia, and just the personal growth. And the, you know, the professional growth that I you know, experienced through that exercise was just, I can look back on it now and go, man, I learned so much. I mean, you were stuck in the jungles of Indonesia, building a power plant, trying to get it started up. And you were not going to get to go home until you figured out how to get it going. So <laughs> yeah. you, you learned how to become a MacGyver uh, you know, <laughs> in the power plant industry to how to figure things out. And I, I still rely on some of those skills to this day. And I always tell people, man, if you ever get an opportunity to do an international assignment, you know, a lot, you know, it's hard if you have family and everything, but if you have the opportunity, just the working in a different culture and having the, the language barrier and all of those different things you have to overcome where it was just huge in my, in my career. So I definitely very fond of those that period of time. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. No, that's, that's always awesome. It's, uh, that's been a, a dream of mine as well to do something international. So that's uh, good to hear that and, and great to hear all of those, all those memories. And then the last one's an easier one. We'll just go around and it's a, it's a book recommendation. So any, you can, any, it's an all time favorite, a recent read or anything that comes to top of mind. Um, and so we'll start with you, Danielle, and then we can go around. Oh my gosh. Um, I read a lot. I'm not sure I really want to disclose what I actually read these days. Um, wow. I, well, okay. So Alex Mackler, uh, who we work with recently assigned a book, California burning. Um, and at first I was, you know, he actually mailed us the book. It's, probably around here somewhere. Uh, but I listened to it on, um, um, on audibles and it was really fascinating history of PG&E and, and everything. So I, I do recommend it. Don't tell Alex, <laughs> <laughs> but I do recommend it. I had, I was really reluctant to, uh, to listen to it. Cause you know, gosh, I'm in the industry. I want to, you know, I'd rather do a murder mystery, you know, something to totally, you know, yeah. But uh, it was fascinating. And so I recommend it. Maybe just take it incrementally. But uh, it, it, it is very, very much worth the time to listen to it or read it, whatever you prefer. Awesome. No, that's a great one. What about uh, for you, Peter? She stole my <laughs> I talk about. I mean, it is actually a great book. I don't I don't read everything that Alex tells us to read. <laughs> that, one, that one is a good one, I think. Uh, awesome. Yeah. 
No, that's great. Two for hey, that's totally fine. That's that means it's a good one. So, what about you, Rob? All three for that one, or we have a different one uh, in the in the in the pool here. Um, well, I was going to pull from two, and I was going to do a fiction and nonfiction. But... <laughs> okay, there we go. That's good. We'll hit by the scheme. We're all being cerebral. I got to go nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is it's called? Uh, Energy for uh, Future Presidents. It was another assigned reading that I think is, um, it's really good. I mean, especially when you start having a rational discussion about what the energy mix really should be or what it's probably going to have to be. Take all emotion out and just apply, you know, good engineering (laughs) thought process that, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're probably going to need a little bit of mix of everything to make this whole thing work. And, um, that's a good read on that front. So. Awesome. No, those are, those are great ones. And we'll definitely include those in the show notes and well, wow. Time always flies, uh, when we do these things and truly just want to thank all of you today for, you know, coming on the show and making time for this. Um, you know, myself, I appreciate this and obviously the listeners do and just getting to have one more perspective or three in this case of, you know, Calpine and specific to the geysers, but geothermal and just kind of some of, you know, the learnings that we can take from what we've already been doing for so long and just kind of getting a lens into your day to day and and what the geysers means for geothermal, but also the community around it and, and just for the future of geothermal by making way for some of these technologies to be tested and deployed and and for Calpine to be a partner um, with some of these new innovations. So really appreciate all of your time. Um, and I do look forward to coming to the geysers at some point. So Please. for 2024, I'm marking it on November of this year. I'm getting, I'm getting in line, uh, for next, for next year. Uh, well, considering that you're media, I'm sure we can squeeze you in somewhere earlier. If you're going to be in the area, okay. let's coordinate early. Okay. I will, I will coordinate and let you know about that. Cause I would definitely love to to come and, and visit and, and see the all of you know the stats that Rob said in person and actually just get to you know experience it myself. So thank you guys and, and thank you uh, for all of those listening and for the support. I uh, hope you are having a great day wherever this uh, episode catches you and and we'll uh, be talking soon. Thank you guys. Bye.